All right, so last week, you had the opportunity to hear from Matt Hoford. Uh, my family was in northern Minnesota, uh, where I grew up, born and raised, about 60-ish miles north of Fargo, and had the opportunity to worship at my friend's church in Mapleton, North Dakota. They're like four years old and have had quite a journey. And so I come back, like, excited to be here. Uh, it was great to be there. It's great to know that God is happy and working in North Dakota and Minnesota. And I talked to friends in the Dominican Republic and God is just active and God is moving. But um, as we come back, um, you realize the value and importance of community. It's weird for me having been born and raised in that area my whole entire life. I, I lived there my whole life within a span of about a mile and a half for 35 years, except for a couple years I went to college. And uh, you realize that you just are a little bit out of place when you're back at home. Like, sure, these are your people, your family, but you don't have that community that once existed. And I had the opportunity to be a part of a church and to know kind of instantly a whole bunch of people. But when you've been gone for seven and a half years, it just quite isn't the same. And you realize the value of community to have people like know you and speak into your life and realize the value of being able to speak into other people's life. And so you heard that from Matt. And today I want to talk about the rhythm of Bible reading. Now, when you talk about Bible reading, um, it's always kind of a little bit of a scary thing, I think, for myself. Um, you want to set the timer. I'm scared at how long I could go here, okay? <laughs> I'm just trying to be gracious to you all right? right? When you talk about Bible reading, it's hard, because I would guess in this room, there are zero people who are just like, heck no, I'm not reading the Bible. Okay, you're probably, you probably wouldn't come here today if you were just like, no, I'm not going to do it. Okay, so all of us in some sense, well, reading the Bible is good. Okay, but then there's the second reality that follows close behind that statement that probably says most of us, we, we, we don't read the Bible. And just to be straight up honest with you, I'm in August of last year's Bible reading plan. I partnered up with two guys, Matt Hoford actually, and Michael Rhodes, and we plugged through, I think, until mid-July, and having that accountability every Thursday morning was really good for me. And then we stopped, and I struggled. And reading the Bible can be really difficult um, to get into that rhythm. But as you look back at 2023 and as you look forward in 20, into 2024, you ask yourself, like, what, what are your plans for the future? And did you have any other plans that fell through? And I have plans that fall through continuously. In fact, when it comes to resolution making, I just, I just don't. Why set myself up for disappointment, you know? I always want to, I mean, I go to Strava, my biking uh, account, and I set my miles for the year. That's about all I do. That's the only commitment that I truly make as far as a dream or a vision for myself. But oftentimes I don't set a goal to even read the Bible in a year. And I think we as a church need to be challenged. I need to be challenged to take it up because I think at the root of the reality that we do not read our Bible is the reality that we, we don't want to know God. We don't. It is the old self in us, if you are a Christian. It is the old self in us rearing its head to say, like, you don't need to read that book. You don't have time. And at the root of it, again, I don't think is busyness. 
And oftentimes I'll speak to people about learning to read better. Because I think if you learn to read better, it is easier to read. But I also don't think that is at the root of the problem. I think it's our old man. It's our old self saying we don't need to. And again, the reason why I think that is because when life throws us extra tournaments or when life gives us free trips, most of the time we jump on it. We make time for everything else. Randomly, things pop in. I have met some incredibly busy men. They're busy. They're going to games. They're doing their stuff. They're trying to lead their family. But when hunting season comes up, there are weekends that are wide open for them. Yet they struggle to read their Bible. I have met people that are so busy hauling their kids from point A to point B, meeting with their families, serving people. And when something comes up, life throws them a curveball that, that's good. They drop everything. And they're like, we're doing this. We're doing this. But again, when it comes to this relationship with their creator, they're like, no, I just don't read. I don't pray a lot. Shoot, I barely attend church. And that's concerning for us. Like really, before you rage at me or send me that email in your head, Think about that. Think about your Bible reading and be real, right? Because I, I, I do this too where I'm like, oh, I read the Bible on Thursday. Well, I mean Tuesday. It's one of those days I started with tea. This last week. Well, maybe it was the week before. Gosh, no, I think it was three weeks ago. And before we know it, we think it was Thursday, but before we know it, it was Thursday back in around the beginning of December. It just slips through the cracks, so easily. But again, when life offers us something exciting or something quick, we're like, I'm there. Where do I sign up? Let's go. Let's go. Load up the family. Let's, let's make this happen. And so the question that I kind of want to deal with is, isn't so much like, hey, why don't we read the Bible? It's really, why don't we read the Bible? What's going on kind of in our heart? What is the Bible? Why should we read the Bible? And perhaps it will be just a reminder to some of you, but I hope it's a challenge to all of us. I don't want us to come out of here being like, I got to read the Bible. My prayer for this Sunday is that we might come out of here wanting to read the Bible. I, I want to read the scriptures. Okay, and I hope to build that case throughout this day. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to the book of 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy. And I want to start with 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 as to why, why the Bible? What, what is the Bible? Why is this a significant thing for us to read? And I want to call the church. Now, if you read through the New Testament, the New Testament epistles, I think, are written to the church. So if you're visiting Veritas today, or, or you're not a Christian, I don't think this is directly written to you first. Okay, I think Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are written to you. Okay, and you can hear, and I hope you can learn and be encouraged and challenged, right? But in the epistles, those books are written to the church. It's a challenge to Christians or people who claim to be in Christ. Okay, and so in Timothy, Paul is writing to his disciple, Timothy, who is a pastor at the church in Ephesus. And he uses this word to encourage Timothy. He says, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, 
equipped for every good work. So when it comes to the scripture reading, whether you're reading on a Tuesday morning or whether you're reading on a Thursday or a Saturday or you're in church, what is the purpose of the scriptures? Why do we read the Bible? And, and it says it right here, and it says it in 1 Peter as well, but I only chose one for the sake of time. It says that scripture is breathed out by God. So you take a look at the book that you have in your hands, if you have one. I want to encourage you to bring a Bible to church, okay? Or you look at your app, and you're like, this book has been breathed out by God. This book has been breathed out by God. Okay, it's been given to us by the almighty creator of the whole entire universe. There is no one else like him. There is no one more powerful than he. And he has breathed out his word into this. Now you can get into arguments about original language and all those things, but that's not the point that I'm trying to make. God is trying to communicate with us, church. God is trying to communicate with me and he put it all and packaged it up in a book and he gave it to me gave me a letter. It tells me about him. So why does he give me this letter? Well, I mean, I think it says right here, it's profitable for teaching. It will teach us something. It will teach us something. You know, when you read a story about George Washington or some other person in history, like it might be interesting and you might learn something, but it probably doesn't move you at the soul level. Like, yay, George, first president, woo, you're doing it. But it doesn't like change your life. But the Bible teaches you something. And it has something for you to teach as well. Okay, so the Bible is useful for teaching. It's useful for uh, reproof, right? Reproof means it, it makes a warning to us. The Bible isn't a book full of opinions, okay? And even as you come here to listen to me, you should not take my opinion for anything. You should go to the book Study the book. Study the word of God. Okay? Lean into the word of God. Now, there's certainly verses that we, we make an opinion of. Hence the reason why there are so many churches in this country. Right? And you have to decide whether or not you see it in Scripture or you don't see it in Scripture. But it corrects us. It reproves us. It warns us like, hey, there's a creator. He wrote this book. You ain't doing it. It warns us. It reproves us, okay? So the scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for warning, and for correction. And the one thing I love about our God is he doesn't just say, hey, you're messing up. You're messing up. He says, let me teach you how to get back on track. The Bible is useful for correction, and it's useful for training in righteousness. Some of us, a few of us maybe, will have a plan. You want to do something this year differently than last year. I think we always pick up on weight loss or getting in shape or whatever, right? And you create a roadmap. Some people are crazy enough to want to run a marathon when they've invented the wheel. Who would do that, okay? It's always a mystery to me, okay? But they will like set a roadmap. If I'm going to run in June, I need to start changing my life in February, And they will start a roadmap. And so the Bible is a roadmap. It's training in righteousness. If I'm going to meet my Lord one day, I want to be trained. I want to know who he is. I want to know how he exists or as much as I can know about his being. I want to know him. 
And so the Bible is a training in righteousness. Why would we train in righteousness? So that we may be complete, equipped for every good work. Our faith isn't this ethereal thing that exists outside our life, outside our schedule that we try to push in. Our faith should be the center of who we are. And everything else should flow out of it. And this Bible, this breathed out by God text should inform every decision that we make. Should inform every action step that we take. It's given to us by God to equip us to do the good works. What is God calling me to do? Read your Bible. Learn what he's calling you to do. See it there. You don't need it just 35 minutes, it's going to be 40, of the week. You can have it on Monday. You can have it on Tuesday. Unless for some of you, like I was raised where you read the Bible, it's a list of rules. And you might still struggle with that a lot. But when you get into the word, you see it as a, a loving letter that talks about a loving God who did significant, magnificent things for you. And that can change your motivation to dive in and to read the word. God didn't call us to a vague mystery. He's written down what he has called us to do in his word. And so what are we supposed to do with this? We have this Bible. We, it's breathed out by God. It's, God has breathed life into it. Uh, what are we supposed to do with it? Let's go to Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Colossians chapter 3. Verse 16, Paul is writing to the church in Colossae and he has challenged them significantly to put to death sin and then put on the things of God. And kind of at the end of this part where he's talking about putting on the things of God, he kind of gives the fuel for it. Like, how do I put on the things of God? Well, he says in verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And I want to focus kind of on that word dwell. You might look at the word dwell and think of a dwelling, a house or a structure to keep you safe. And sure, that's good. Right? I think of like letting my kids dwell in my home. You know, so like as you study the Bible... I would plead with you, especially if you're skeptical of it. It's not just, you know, like, uh, I don't know. We, we, we just kind of read it and we just kind of pass over it. And I think I say at the end of my message here, like, I don't want us to conquer the Bible. When you read the Bible, it isn't just for you to conquer the chapters, conquer the books, conquer. You like, let the Bible conquer you. So when you read a text or if you read a book or if you read an article, I hope you would take the time to like know like, gosh, I don't, I don't really know what that word means. Now we have the benefit of having Google. Google, what does dwell mean? You know, or if another word stumps you, that's good. That's what study is. is. It's like I want to understand what I'm reading. And there's a lot of parts of the Bible that are hard to understand. And if we're just like, ugh, hard to understand, I'm not going to read it, like then we're not going to study anything. Remember, you're a learner. You're a learner. I would hate for a seventh grader to come in to seventh grade, flip to the back of his math clap book and just say, kill me, I'm done. 
No, because you're going to learn as you go to the end of your math book. And some of us are at different places in our spiritual walk. We need to learn what the Bible says. And as Americans, I think we struggle so hard with learning because it takes time and it takes effort. As a seventh grader who gets into math, when you flip to the back, you have invested hours in the hearing teaching. You have invested hours into homework to understand what's at the back of the math book. And as a Christian, when we come to the scriptures, there are some parts where you're like, this doesn't make any sense. That's right. It's going to take a couple years for you to wrap your head around it. Just don't stop studying. Okay, so we're at this word dwell. Let it dwell in you. I think of my kids dwelling in the home. So what does it look like when they dwell in the home? Well, what does it look like for you when your kids dwell in the home? I would guess you, you feed them. I would guess you clean up after them. And that's kind of an unfortunate benefit of them living in the home. Fortunate benefit, I don't know. But, but you engage with them. You interact with them. And there's this picture, you like, let the word of Christ dwell in me richly. I'm going to have to clean up after him. No, that's where the, the example falls apart. But you get this picture of engaging and interacting with the text. When it doesn't make sense to you, you let it sit in your mind. The Bible talks about meditating on it. And you think, how does this apply to me cleaning? How does this apply to me remodeling? How does this apply to me speaking to my spouse? You reflect on it. You wrestle with it. You dwell on it. You fixate on it. You think about it more than just like, whoop, done with my Bible reading, moving on. No. You wrestle with it all day long, wondering how it applies. You dwell. You let it mull over it. Letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly involves this teaching again. The Bible isn't here to give you accolades and tell you how awesome you are. It's here to tell you how awesome God is and his grace and love for you. It involves correcting. It warns us when we're not doing the things our creator wants us to do. And it involves worshiping and thankfulness to God. It sets our hearts right. When we let the word of Christ dwell in us, it sets our hearts right. We have something to be truly thankful for. While our world might be falling apart, our biggest issue, sin, has been addressed in Christ. That is the foundation of thankfulness. So with everything, there comes a ditch on the other side. Okay? You don't, you don't want to become creepy with your Bible. I've, I've known people who have even gone so far as to say that their Bible should not touch the ground. And... Sure, I don't, should any book touch the ground? Should you step on any book? No, it's not what a book is designed to do, you know? But this book is still made of ink. They could have printed my Bible on the press one day and they could have printed a newspaper on the next day. It's not that this book is something that I worship. I'm not trying to get you to worship your Bibles. I'm trying to get you to worship Christ. And the Bible tells us about Christ. And the ditch you can fall into is becoming superficial. Go with me to John chapter 5, verses 39 and 40. Jesus is talking to the Jews. 
And the Jews have been the chosen people of God since Deuteronomy 4. Well, you can go back to Genesis 12. And God makes a promise to Abraham, their father. He says, I'm, I'm going to use you people. And I'm, from you is going to come a seed. And from it, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. Okay? So he starts there. But they've, they've missed the point. They love the history. They love their family history. Like, man, Yahweh, he was invested in us. Moses, great, 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 grandpa. He was awesome. And it's like, Moses wasn't about Moses. Your priests, they weren't about themselves. They were, they were pointing to something greater. Okay, let's read the text. Jesus warns them with this. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. Like in the scriptures. And you're, and you're missing it. And it is they, the scriptures, that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. These people knew the scriptures. Some sects of these people, some groups of these people, had most likely memorized the first five books of the Bible by the time they were age nine. That sounds terrible. The first five books of the Bible by the time they were age nine. And they missed Jesus. They missed the promises. Now, they knew of the promises, but it stopped at the promises. And here Jesus is right in front of them, and they're persecuting him. They're pushing him back, saying, who do you think you are? And he's like, you study the scriptures, but you're missing the point. I don't want to be that church. The church that has all this head knowledge, but no heart response to what the scriptures are saying. The Older Testament pointed them to it. Jesus is a better Moses, yet they were fixated on Moses. Jesus was a better priest. Jesus was a better king. Like they were so hung up on David and their kings. But those kings pointed to better king, a better king. There was a better priest. And it wasn't in the priestly line. It was in Christ. There was a better prophet. Some of their prophets were crazy. But there was a better prophet who was perfect. All these things in the Older Covenant, in the Older Testament, point forward to Jesus and tell us about the character of God. God keeps promises. Don't believe me? Start at Genesis 1 and read to Luke 2. God keeps promises. And you see it through brokenness. You see it through sin. You see it through weakness. God works. And in the Older Testament, we learn about the character of God. But it isn't for us to come here and say, I worship this Bible, or I worship this version of the Bible, or I worship this book. You don't touch my Bible. No, this book is for you to study and know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and for him to revolutionize your life. This book points us to Jesus. It points us to our creator, the source for our life. You know, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Some of us are struggling with this. We don't have life or life isn't very exciting because we're so far removed from what our creator has for us. We're so far removed from it. And in the scriptures, we find life as we come back to our creator and address the issues that we have. And Jesus Christ displayed this to us as the most perfect example. If you go to Matthew chapter 4 with me. 
Jesus is the most perfect example. He's the son of God come to earth as flesh, right? We celebrated it a couple weeks ago. There went a decree from Caesar Augustus, right? And the angels show up to the shepherds and they're, and they're like, we gotta go check this out. Like what's going on here? So this Jesus Christ comes and he's our example. He lives in the flesh. How are we supposed to live for God? Well, let's follow Jesus. He's a really good example. And so when Jesus is out in the wilderness being tempted at the beginning of his ministry, he uses the scriptures. Now, and here's a challenge to some of you who will read the New Testament, but you will not read the Old Testament. Let me tell you, I'm in Ezekiel right now. The Old Testament, it's hard. I don't know some of what they're saying there. And I've read it a few times, okay? Sure, it's hard. But there are promises in the Older Testament that we need to learn and, and study it's not all a loss. And when Jesus goes and he's, and he's hanging around with all these religious people, they know the Older Testament and he is not afraid to use the Older Testament. And so as he's being tempted by Satan in the wilderness, he uses the Older Testament to bat down the lies of Satan. So the Older Testament is not meaningless. It is not useless. Okay? Satan comes to Matthew chapter, sorry, Matthew 4 verses 3 And four, it says, the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, but Jesus answered, it is written. And he goes to Deuteronomy. Okay, he goes to Deuteronomy and says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus Christ quotes the older Testament, the older covenant. He quotes from the book of Deuteronomy. And he's our greatest example. When temptation comes against us, right? We want life here on this earth. And Satan is throwing stuff at us, tempting us, teasing us consistently. We can respond with the scriptures, okay? I don't think we have to only use the Older Testament because we do have the New Testament. But the example that Jesus Christ produces is that when temptation comes, I'm going to the word. And I think some of us are so removed, we're so foreign from the Bible that when it comes to being like, man, I'm being tempted to lust and you want me to use the Bible? I mean, how ridiculous. How does the Bible equate when I'm struggling with lust or you're struggling with pride? Like I'm dealing with a pride issue here and you want me to quote a Bible verse? Yes. I want you to fight the pride at the very root of it, which is your heart. And the Bible gets to the root of the issue. It's not your health. It's not your wealth. It's not your, your life or the economy. That's an issue. It's your heart. And the Bible cuts through all the crud and goes right to the heart of the issue. Your creator, your builder, the one who knit you together in your mother's womb addresses the heart of the issue inside you. And so, yes, Quoting a Bible verse helps fight lust. Yes, quoting a Bible verse helps fight pride. Yes, quoting a Bible verse helps fight jealousy. The scriptures put God in his place and us in our place. And Jesus here is dealing with a very physical need. Do you think you could skip a few meals and sustain yourself on the word of God?
I think the practical and the spiritual meet inside our souls. Can the spiritual trump the physical? If you were to start tithing to this church, could God provide for your very physical needs? If you were to stop eating for three days, could God provide for your needs? I think all of you would say yes, but you would really doubt it. And I would say yes. My wife and I, on our trip to Minnesota, listened to the story of the Burnhams. They were missionaries uh, for New Tribes Missions in the 90s. And in the year 2000, they were, or 2001, they were abducted by Abu Sayyaf. And they were marched through the jungles of the Philippines over and over again as they, Abu Sayyaf, uh, militant Islamic group, sought uh, ransom for them. And they were starved. Ridiculously. And you hear in the testimony over and over again of them praying, like, God, sustain us. God, take care of us. And he did. And I fear for a lot of us as Christians, when we ask for God to provide, we, we get something. He answers us and we're like, man, we're lucky. Woo! Can you believe, isn't it ironic that this came today? It isn't ironic. And it ain't luck. God has heard your prayers. He hears the prayers of his saints. And these saints and other saints have seen consistently time and time again their prayers answered by their loving and gracious creator. The Burnhams experienced it and you can experience it as well. The word of God can meet your practical needs. And let me tell you this, speaking of that. Because if God chose not to, because he's God and he doesn't have to, and you perish as a Christian, you still get God. Like, you can't lose. You, you get God. You move from torment or wherever position you're in to, like, his presence. And those afflictions, they were but momentary. They don't even compare to the eternal glory that you will experience should God not answer that physical and practical need that you have. We learn that in the scriptures. And so when you think about the word of God sustaining you, like I want to challenge you because I know many of you come to church on Sunday and your soul hasn't eaten since last Sunday. And I would challenge you to do that with food this week. I I want you to challenge. If you're not going to read, and students, I include you in this. You claim Jesus, you go to the word. And adults, men, men, don't starve your soul. Don't try to lead your family in spirituality on a dead, dying soul. All of us. This guy couldn't make it till next Sunday without food. I couldn't make it till three today. No, I, it's a challenge, right? But we, yet we do it with the most important aspect of our life continuously. We try to go seven days without eating. Don't leave your soul to starve for seven days between worship services. Grab a Bible. If, you, if those Bibles are too expensive, I'll give you a Bible. Get an app. Do something, right? But the Word of God begins to transform us. Let's go to Hebrews 
chapter 4, and let's read 11 and 12. What is this Bible? It's breathed out by God. It's useful. We don't worship the Bible. Uh, We use the Bible practically and physically. Uh, And then the scriptures go on to tell us in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so, t- so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Um, for the word of the Lord is living and active. Okay, It's living and active. It's not just dead words on a page. It's living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces up to the divisions of the soul and the spirit, to joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. This book will revolutionize your life. It will start from your soul and it will change the words you speak and it will change the things your hands grab and it will change the ways your feet walk or where you walk into. It will change you. It will transform you. This book is powerful, not because of the pages. I can literally tear a page right here. No, but it's the spirit. It's the author. It's God in you that transforms you, changes you, and revolutionizes you. This is an active book, sharper than any two-edged sword, cutting to the heart. And this is the idea that I want us to walk away from here. We don't need the Bible only to read, Christian. We need the Bible to survive. We need the Bible to survive, and if you're anything like me, when I come to New Year's, in the back of my head somewhere, I'm thinking, I'm going to eat less Oreos this year. And I just start thinking discouraged. Pretty, I'm pretty discouraged right away because I'm thinking that's probably not going to happen. But Matthew will make a way for food to get to me. I will make a way. But what will I do to get food for my soul? What will I cut out of my life to ensure that this is a priority? What do I need to change so that my soul thrives, that my soul lives? And so when we come to the Bible, we're like, oh, crud, I have to read. No, you you don't have to. You, You need to read. It is your life. It gives life to your soul. In fact, Psalms says, if you go to Psalms chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Like, he thinks about it, okay? Don't get creeped out with the word meditate. You read a verse like, uh, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another, singing psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, like, Man, like, how am I, how's the word teaching me? I think about that. I think I might, my mind might skip over to John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God gave his only son for me. I'm meditating on it. I'm not sitting down with my legs crossed in some position that I'll never be able to move from. I'm just reflecting on it as I'm carrying a box or as I'm grabbing another book or as I'm walking to a meeting, I'm reflecting, like, what does it look like to dwell? What does that word mean? How crazy is John three sixteen? God sent his only begotten son 
that whoever believes would not perish but have everlasting life? Everlasting. Have you ever like meditated on that word? How long is everlasting? Whoa. And you just meditate on it. You reflect on it. Blessed is the man who meditates on the word. Well, he's like a tree, verse 3, planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. Its leaf does not wither. You know, you think about all that trees go through. This last summer, it never rained. And yet the trees that were down by the water, they're green. The trees that were along the river, the weeds that were along the dripping garden hose, they were green. Dandelions, they're always green. (sighs) Anyways, um, but those trees were by like a source. Those Christians, no matter what the economy does, no matter what the new media thing, those Christians that are rooted in the scriptures that are leaning into the word of God, they're green. They're anchored. They're not flailing around, struggling because their roots are wrapped around the truth. There's more to that text, but we're going to skip it. But folks, the Bible isn't just a book to read. It's a source of life for us as Christians. So I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you. Why don't you read your Bible? Why don't you? And I don't think busyness counts. Because when something awesome comes up, you're going to do it. And here's an awesome opportunity to read a letter from your maker that tells you how much he loves you, how faithful he is, how sovereign he is, and how awesome he is. And there's an invitation for you to, to read it. Dig in. And I, and I get that sometimes reading is hard. And so I want to give you a few practical things here before we close. Like I said earlier, I, w- I don't want you to conquer the Bible. I think Matthew Morgan is guilty, maybe some of you are, of like, okay, Bible reading plan. Got to read 15 chapters today because I'm behind. Story of my life. And, and you miss it. I think there are seasons to do that. If you need to do 15, do it. Right? But what does it look like for you to read a paragraph? What does it look like to you to read two verses and, and meditate on it? You don't need to conquer it. Let it conquer you. It might be three sentences. It might be three chapters. Let's not be American about reading the Bible where we have to check all the boxes. And you know what? It's okay to not finish the Bible reading plan in a year. You can take two. What does it look like to let the word conquer you rather than you conquering the word? If you struggle reading or struggle with like squirrels, squirrels, they're everywhere. Uh, I did too. And so I used the Bible reading app called Holy Bible. And you know what the Holy Bible does for me? It reads to me. Check this out. See if it works. It'll do this if we're worshiping. And as you receive from us how you want to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. Right? You hear that? I'm, I'm reading at 1.4. It helps me, especially there's those chunks of names. They're really hard to pronounce. Use, a, use audio. You let it help you. Put something in your head and then sit with your Bible. Or maybe you can't read and drive and listen at the same time. Don't. I'm not telling you to do that. Listen to the Bible. There's tons of even voices you can listen to, okay? Get a Bible audio app. 
And maybe you need help just feeling accomplished. Like start with the book of 1 John. It's short. It's a little punchy, but it's short. Read a paragraph. You'll be done in a couple months. Just take a little bit at a time. Start with a small book, 1 John. Or perhaps you want to do more. Start with a Bible reading plan. We've got that sheet of paper out there that you can have. Or you've got the app that you can follow along. Like just get into the word. And let me tell you, church, there are so many books about the Bible. And I'll tell you, they're awesome. We, are, we live in an age of such, so many awesome authors, okay? Just read your Bible. Just, just go to the Bible. Spend some time just in the Bible. Don't let that author or that person impact how you're reading. Just wrestle with it. If you get done with two verses and you're like, what the heck did I just read? That's great. Read it again. Read it again. I find it like those old pictures in the 90s where you would stare at them in the mall and then all of a sudden, boop, it would come to life. Sometimes that's how a text is. It takes time for it to come to life. Read it again. Read it again. Read it again. Study it for two weeks and see the text come to life because it will. It's living. It's active. So consider those things. Why don't you read the Bible? And with some of the helps that are out here, I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you to lean in in 2024 and read the book. Let's pray. God, I'm thankful for your church. God, I'm grateful for the folks who come regularly, God. And I'm just so, my heart longs so much for us, God, to get to know you better. Lord, I'm so grateful to you that we live in a country that we can have tons of Bibles, that we can sell Bibles, that we can have Bible apps. God, and I pray, Father, that we would lean into the Bible and study the word of God. God, motivate us to challenge our own hearts, our laziness, God, our busyness, God, to reprioritize our life, God, to celebrate you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.